Hey everyone, this is Brandon, the music team leader at Creekside. Chad, our pastor, was out of town this weekend, so what you're about to hear is a sermon from our guest speaker, Mike Freeman. Mike is the pastor of Valley Christian Fellowship in Longview, Washington. We appreciate him preaching at Creekside and hope his sermon will help you learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Wonderful. Well, hey, I'm Mike Freeman, and uh, as you saw in the video, I pastor at Valley Christian Fellowship. And I, I thought I'd start by just saying that uh, it's not too early to celebrate Christmas. And, and here's why I'd say that. We actually just finished a two-week sermon series at our church on preparing for Christmas. And so the, the guy that was up here talking about that, you were spot on. Decorations, they're okay right now if, if you got the time for that. Um, but I'm really glad to be here. I'm actually going to be preaching out of Psalm chapter 1. And I want to actually invite you, I, I don't know if you guys do this, but would you mind standing with me as I read from Psalm chapter 1 with you? And then we'll just kind of jump right in to God's word today. Here's what Psalm chapter 1 says. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, you can grab a seat right now. As you grab a seat, uh, I can figure out where to put my Bible here. <laughs> you know, it's always a challenge coming somewhere else and not sure what the setup's going to be. But, but I, I want to start by setting things up with you by telling you a little bit about how our family works. You know, I've met a handful of you already. You've got to meet my wife. My oldest son was in the back doing some balloon animals for some kids earlier. And, uh, and so like most of you, if you have a house with kids, you probably have at least a corner or a place in a room that is full of Legos. Anybody like Legos out here? Right? Oh, we love Legos in our household. And it, it's pretty common during birthday or Christmas that a grandparent will splurge and they'll buy like one of the giant Lego sets for the household. You guys seen those? Those things are giant. They're huge. Usually we don't buy them because we just wait for, you know, the wealthy grandparents to buy them. And they like give it to the kids. But have you ever seen these things? They come with like three sets of instructions. Sometimes four, sometimes five. They come with multiple bags of Legos, and you've got to systematically kind of follow every step to actually build, like, like the Death Star or whatever it is you're trying to build, right? But have you ever thought about taking all those Legos, and you just mix them all together in one spot, and then you say, I'm going to build, without any instruction, whatever it is on the front of this box? I don't know about you, but if I sat there and I tried doing that with my kids, it, it would be frustrating I might not be a good dad in some of those moments as we're trying to work together. It would be long and arduous. It, honestly, it would be painful. I can imagine that right now. But, it, but when we take an hour and a half or, or 10 hours or however long it takes, and we take the time to follow the instructions in those Lego sets, it's amazing the things that you can build. Now, most of our Legos, they, they are oriented around Star Wars, but it's amazing the end product. And, and the reason I, I share that is that's, that's a lot like Psalm chapter 1. You've probably read Psalm chapter 1 before. There's a reason why Psalm 1 is Psalm 1 at the very beginning of the Psalter, because it sets the tone for the entirety 
of all 150 chapters of the Psalms. And it really it lays out for you and I a very clear, a very simple principle. The kind of principle that you can, if you get your hands around it, if you get, a, if you get it ingrained in your mind, if you hold it tight in your heart, it will help you to walk in wisdom. And as you walk in wisdom, it will help you to experience life the way God wants you to. It'll help you be blessed. It'll help you be blessed. In fact, if, if you're tracking with me, if there's one idea that you're going to walk away with today, here, this is what it is. The blessed life comes from living God's ways. The blessed life, it comes from living God's ways. Now, maybe, uh, maybe you're on Instagram or social media, and every once in a while you see someone post a picture where they, they just came out of a salon and they got their hair did and they're coming out, they're all excited and they say, look, I got my new hair, hashtag blessed. You seen something like that before? Or someone posts something on social media or maybe they just say it to you in a comment, I just bought a new car, I am so blessed. And, and we oftentimes use the word blessed and tie it to the material, we tie it to the physical, but that's actually not what, what a truly blessed life looks like when you open up God's word. And, and so I want to take some time today and help you wrestle through Psalm chapter 1. My hope is that you can begin to see what it looks like to live a life that truly is blessed. The kind of life that walks in right relationship with God, that walks in God's ways. So if you want to follow along, turn, turn to Psalm 1, the very first verse, the very few, first few words of, of Psalm chapter 1. And here's where we're going to start. Psalm 1 is going to point us to this reality that the blessed life it lives in a right relationship with God. It, it begins, it says, the blessed man, or blessed is the man. Now the word blessed, it actually, it means to speak well of. The, the Hebrew word is actually Asher. So if you see our youngest running around, his name's Asher. Like if you say, hey Asher, you're actually calling him blessed, right? But to speak well of, and the idea of you looking at someone's life, you see in the quality of their life, you see in the kind of life they live, and when you look at it, you say that person is blessed. You're speaking well of them. It, it actually, its definition, it, it gets all the way up to the line of almost coveting. It doesn't cross that line, but it, it means to desire. The word bless is actually the kind of word that you are meant to desire. The kind of thing that you're supposed to long for, not in a, hey, that person is blessed and I want to take that away from them so I can have it, but wow, look at that person and the way they live before the face of God. I want to live that kind of life. I want to experience that kind of blessing. See, blessing, it is, it is not a situational condition, but it's a relational reality between you and your maker. That's what it means to be blessed. One of the best verses, if you were to flip to the New Testament to get an understanding of this, is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Now listen to this text. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and here's what he says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You notice that one verse Three times it uses the word blessed or the word blessing. 
It talks about how God the Father is blessed. He is spoken well of. He is praised. And then it says that he has blessed you and I in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then it tells us where? In the heavenly places. Three times in one verse, this word blessed is used. It says we speak well of God who has spoken well of us in Christ. See, see, we have been blessed in Christ. If we're going to talk about having a right relationship with God, that actually means we actually know God. See, see the Bible actually talks about having a right relationship with God. The word is righteousness. I'm sure you're familiar with that word. Hopefully you've heard it before. Righteousness has to do with being in a right relationship with God. Someone who is righteous is someone who, is, who has the kind of relationship with God where there's nothing between them and God the Father. And the Bible talks about how righteousness is a problem. Because everyone except for Jesus, every one of us and everyone throughout all humanity, we have broken our righteousness with God. We actually have, have, the word is, we have sinned. And because of that sin, we have been separated from God. And that separation from God, it's terrible because there is nothing we can do to fix it. And so, biblically speaking, if you were to look at anyone who has yet to trust in Jesus, that is a life that is not in right relationship with God, and that is a life that is not blessed. And that's a problem. That's a problem for any of us who have yet to trust in Jesus, but the problem actually gives hope because that's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came to be a curse. Jesus came to take the curse, the punishment, the sin that every one of us have committed, and he carried it with him and hung on that cross. He says, I'm going to take your curse, I'm going to take your sin, I'm going to take your broken relationship with God, and I'm going to make it mine. And you know what he does in return? He turns toward you and he says, I am going to give you something. I am going to give you my perfect obedience. I am going to give you my righteousness. I am going to give you my right relationship with God the Father. He says, here's how you receive it. You receive it when you trust in me. When you trust that I live that sinless, perfect life. When you trust that I died on a cross for your sins, paying the price for your sins, and that I resurrected from the grave, that I rose again. If you trust that, he trades and takes your curse and he gives you his righteousness in Christ, you are blessed. If you were to read the rest of Ephesians chapter 1, you would see what this blessing looks like. Let me rattle off some of what it says. It says that this blessing means that God chose you, that he adopted you, that he predestined you, that he redeemed you, that he forgave you, that he has lavished his love upon you, that he's given you an inheritance and he has sealed you with his spirit. You are blessed. See, see, a blessed life is a life that is righteous. And there's not one of us that can say that I am righteous on our own without Jesus Christ. See, Jesus gives us that right relationship with God. He is 
our blessed life. So the author of Psalm 1, as he's writing this, blessed is the man, he has not necessarily a clear picture of how it happens, but he understands that true blessing is not anything necessarily material or physical, but true blessing at its core is a right relationship with God. He says, blessed is the one. And then, and then he begins to describe what it's not. And he describes what it's not with three statements Three things that the blessed life says no to. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This is is the blessed life saying no to certain things. If you're following along, it says, first of all, uh, the blessed life, it says, says no to listening to the world's ideas. It says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Counsel is a way of thinking. Counsel is a worldview. It's a perspective. This is, this is your outlook on life. This is, are you listening to the advice and the plans and the way of decisions that are made by those who are wicked? Now, wicked's not a, a, a label we give to people very often, right? I don't imagine many of us, we walk down the street, we, we pass by someone and say, that guy, is, he's wicked, right? But, but what does wicked mean? Wicked means guilty. Wicked is the idea of you are criminal. You are guilty and you are criminal. Why? Because you have stepped outside of not necessarily civil law, but you've stepped outside of God's law. The wicked is the person who lives outside of God's law, and the counsel of the wicked is a worldview that does not match God's word. Who, who, who do you listen to? What are the podcasts that are your favorites that you listen to? What are the YouTube videos that you're listening to? What books are you reading? What TV shows are you watching? What are the worldviews that you are allowing to shape the way you think? Are you listening to the counsel of the wicked? Is it a get-rich guru that you listen to everything and read everything that he says? Are there certain politicians that you just hang on their every word and whatever it is they're talking about, that's where you're aligning yourself without giving critical thought to whether or not it matches God's word or not? What about self-help books? I mean, we live in a world where there there are hundreds of self-help books published every year. You want to know why there's hundreds published every year? Because the ones last year didn't work. But they've got our attention, don't they? They've got our attention for a a way to fix our mind, a way to fix our soul, a way to fix our finances. And I've been there where you get hung up on a certain kind of worldview without even thinking through, is this the blessed worldview? Is this the worldview that listens to the word of God or, or to the ways of the world? Maybe none of those things hit you. Maybe it's just your friends your coworkers, your colleagues, your classmates, the people that you spend the most time with, do they have your ear more than anyone else? Specifically, do they have your ear in ways that are shaping your mind more than God's word? Says the blessed life, it says no to listening to the ways of the world. But it, but it continues, and it says it, the blessed life, it actually also says no to behaving like the world. 
The second statement it's there, it says, nor stands in the way of sinners. The, the word sinners here suggests a behavior, a pattern of life, a lifestyle. And to stand in the way of sinners is to stand with respect to, to stand in agreement of. It's like in, in Acts when Saul stands there at the, the, the martyring of Stephen. He stands there and he gives his approval. That's not what it says, but that's what it means. When you stand in the way of sinner, you're giving approval to a lifestyle, to a way of life. And if you are in Christ, if you are righteous in Christ, this is not the way you live. You actually say no to this. Really, you're saying no to the peer pressure of those around you. I remember being a kid. This was the first time I got my mouth washed out with soap, right? Some of you guys remember those, those moments for you. I, I lived next door to a, a kid about the same age as me, and we had this giant bush between my house and their house. I mean, it was just massive. And I was over at this kid's house, and we were playing, and like kids do, we ended up having some sort of a disagreement. And so as we're disagreeing, our disagreement makes its way out into the driveway. And this kid, they just start letting all these swear words just fly out of their mouth toward me, right? They're just cursing me with all these words. They're just laying into me, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, I'm not going to let them say this to me. I'm, I'm going to give it right back to them, right? And so I wasn't really well practiced at swear words at that time in my life, and it probably sounded terrible, and I probably fumbled my way through it, but I just laid it all back into them. I started swearing. I was probably making up swear words. I just was giving it to them, right? And I felt like I had accomplished something, and then I walked around that hedge to my driveway where my dad was standing there working on the truck, right? Now, we, we had a long conversation in the bathroom that day, my dad and I, but you know what happened to me in that moment? I, I was, in a childish version, standing in the way of a sinner. I was saying, I, I, I'm going to pattern my life after your life. I am going to copy your behaviors, not the behaviors of, of the righteousness of Christ that I have been given. This is what it looks like. What does it look like for you? Most in this room aren't children. Some are. But, but what are the ways that you stand in approval, that you align your life with the ways of the world? The blessed life does not live that way. The blessed life, if you're tracking, it says no. It says no to listening to the world's ideas. It says no to behaving like the world. And then finally, it says no to belonging to the world. The last statement there in Psalm 1 says, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You guys see the progression, right? Walking, standing, sitting. To sit gives the, the connotation of belonging. This is where I belong. These are my people. And a scoffer, a scoffer is one who lives in a scathing unbelief to the things of God. They live in a denial of God's way. They push God and his word away. They don't align with it. They push against it. And, and the one who is blessed, they say, no, I'm not going to find my place of belonging with the world. This is why I love gathering with a church. This is why I love watching the way you guys, when you walk into this room, there, there's such a sense of warmness and sense of like genuine love as I watch people greet each other. A visitor here can tell that you guys, you belong to each other, don't you? 
This is more than a, a service. This is a church family. And hopefully that is indicative of you saying, this is where I belong. I don't belong to the world. I don't belong to a, a social club or a, a sports team or, or some sort of group or activity. No, no, maybe I do those things. Maybe I'm part of those things. But this is where I sit. These are my people. This is my place. This is my family. See, see the blessed life has an identity that says no to belonging to the world. So, so the blessed life says no to listening to the world's ideas, to behaving like the world, and to belonging like the world. If you were to summarize this, here's the deal. The blessed life is countercultural. Let me say that again. I know you live in 21st century America. I know how hard it is to live countercultural when, when the entire world is pushing you, the, the, the force of the stream is guiding you to, to live like the world, to look like the world, to belong like the world. But listen very carefully. The blessed life is a life that is countercultural. And it's hard. It's hard. If you, don't, if you don't think like a sinner, and you don't act like a sinner, and you don't belong to sinners, the world will, they will push against you. The Bible has all sorts of things to say about the, the current events of our day. And, and if you stand on the word of God, on the things that God's word speaks about, you will be labeled all sorts of labels. You will be called a bigot or hateful or slanderous. You will say, be said that you have hurtful words if you align yourself with the word of God. And I know it's hard, but that simply means that it is time have a spiritual backbone. It is time to be strengthened by the word of God to say that because I am in Christ, because I am secure in him, because I have a blessed life, I'm going to say no to the world. I'm going to align myself more with the word of God than what the world says. See, this leads me to the, the, the passage as it continues. If you look at verse 2, this gives the alternative. This says, this is how you say no to the things of the world. Verse 2, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This is the contrast. It says that, that <clears throat> someone who has the blessed life, they, they delight in the law of the Lord. This, this really is saying the blessed life, it delights in God's word in two ways. The first way is that God's word holds your affection. God's word holds your affection. Is, is reading the word a chore for you? Is, is meeting your Savior in his written word a burden? See, see, a heart that has experienced the regeneration, a life that has come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I get sometimes it is a little bit of work, but, but by and large, a life that knows Christ as Savior does not say, oh, I got to go read God's word. A life that knows Christ as Savior says, I get to go read God's word. 
It has an affection for God's word. They say, I can't wait to get up in the morning and read from God's word. I can't wait to go and be with God's people and hear God's word. I can't wait to gather in in my small group or whatever it looks like for you and study God's word. There is an affection for God's word. You know, occasionally I have conversations with people about when do you read your Bible? And, and there seems to be this tension for a lot of people. They say, well, I read in the morning. No, I'm not a morning person, so I read in the evening. But look at what verse 2 says. They delight in the law of the Lord, and on it they meditate day and night. What do you delight in? I've realized as our family, we, we've just moved. We just bought a house uh, we're kind of a new to the area where we're pastoring, and, and so we were kind of renting for a while, and now we actually have our own house. And as we've moved in, we've we found all of these things that we, we need for the house, and you know the greatest thing is Amazon Prime, because I like open up my phone, like 30 seconds later, I know it's going to be there in two days. I delight in Amazon Prime. Anyone else? Okay, you can be honest. This is, right, it, it's so easy. Oh, we need more USB cables? Boom. Okay, it will be here. If you order before a certain time in the morning, it will be there the next day. I delight in it. But let's, listen, more than that, we are to have an affection for God's Word, a desire for God's Word. God's Word should hold your affection, but listen, it should also hold your attention. It says, on, his, on the law of the Lord, they meditate day and night. This, this attention is captured by the word meditate. The Hebrew word for meditate, it's a word that is meant to sound like what it means. is yehege, right? You say that word yehege, and it's almost like you're breathing or you're muttering because the word actually can be translated muttering. It's the same word used for the cooing of a baby as they're making sounds without even really trying. It can be even used for like murmuring under your breath. It's like you're not even thinking about it. You're just speaking these words because it's, it's so much in your mind and in your heart. This is what it looks like to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night because it holds your affection and because it has your attention, you're always thinking about it. It's like God's Spirit's bringing verses to your mind constantly. It's, it's how you process life. It's how, you, it's how your worldview is shaped. It's how you think. It's your operating system, not just for your soul, but for your brain. You ever known anyone like that? We have a, a leader at our church, and I tell you what, Every single conversation I have with this man, without even trying, he quotes the Bible to me. Every time. I love talking with John. I'll just go make up any excuse to just say, hey, John, what's going on? And it's only a matter of time before God's word is is spilling out of his mouth. Why? Because he meditates on it. Because it has his affection and it has his attention. Now, I, I know you're, some of us might be sitting here today thinking, ugh, that's not me. Oftentimes we hear this and we think, that should be me, but it's not me. And we start to pick on ourselves, right? Be like, man, I suck, right? What's wrong with me? But, but listen, as you listen to God's word today, here's exactly what God's doing. He's drawing you to turn your attention to his word. He's drawing you to turn your affection to his word, not out of guilt and shame, 
but by way of remembering who you are in Christ. As someone who is blessed. Now, this passage continues. We see what the blessed life is and what it isn't. And then it says, listen, the blessed life, it's successful. Look at verse 3. It's like the psalmist is a preacher. This verse almost preaches itself because he gives an illustration. He says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. Now, now as you look at this illustration, there's a few general principles we need to get our hands around to, to make sure we don't err with how we understand this. General principle one, when you live God's way, things work better. I mean, when you parent the way God says to parent, things work better. When, when you operate in marriage the way God says to operate in marriage, things work better. When you manage your finances the way God says to manage your finances, things work better. That's a general principle, right? But here's general principle number two. When you live God's way, things get harder. Anyone experienced that before? Things work better when you live God's way, but things get harder when you live God's way. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus says to his followers, the world hates me, so they will hate you. These two tensions, these two truths, these two general principles, we balance them together, and so we land at a timeless truth, which is what we see here in verse 3. A godly life is good, but it's not easy. A godly life is good, but it's not easy. Verse 3 says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. This is a godly life, a blessed life. It is nourished and it is rooted. It is secure. It says that yields its fruit in its season. The godly life is productive. The godly life actually produces something. It continues, and its leaf does not wither. It's, it's, a, or it's a durable life. The godly life is durable in trials. And then it says, in all that he does, he prospers. To prosper means to cut through or to advance. This is not a passage about the prosperity of the gospel that says, turn your life to Jesus and, and you will be healthy and you will be wealthy, you will be fat and you will be happy. That's, that's not what it's saying. This is actually saying that the godly life is a life that it advances in what it has been designed to do. You will be successful in living the life that God called you to, the blessed life that you will be successful in fulfilling God's assignment for your life. Now, this is his illustration of the godly life. And then he gives another illustration, which is not so pleasant. But continue with me. Because we, we've already talked about how the blessed life is, it, it is countercultural. And so verse 4 and 5 and 6, he says, The blessed life, it stands in contrast to the worldly life. He says, the wicked are not so. The wicked are not like that tree. He says, instead, they are, they are like chaff. The wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, here he describes the wicked life, and he says a few things. 
He, he says the life that it's not in Christ's righteousness, the wicked life, it, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. The picture he uses here is, is of chaff. It's, it's the field has just been harvested. All of, all of the wheat has been brought in. And now, oftentimes what they would do, they make a big pile of it. And then they would wait for the wind to come by or even they would create wind. And then the farmer, what he would do is he would, he would take like a pitchfork and he would throw all of the harvest into the air. And as the wind came through, the wind would blow the chaff away, which is worthless and, and unproductive. And then the kernels are heavier and they would fall back down. And so in the harvest, they would do this over and over and over again until all they have left is the kernels. And then over here, they have the chaff, which is worthless and meaningless. The life that lives outside of God's will, the life that is not blessed, no matter how productive it looks from a worldly standpoint, no matter how much influence it has, no matter how much wealth it has, no matter how many friends it has, no matter how big of a house it has, at the very end, it is meaningless. But it's not only meaningless, it's, it's doomed. Verse 5, he says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. He, here he is reminding us that this church thing this following Jesus thing, this, this God idea, it is not a religious game. He's saying at the very end, when all of God's people are gathered, the wicked will not be there. The wicked will not be present. They will not be able to stand in judgment. To stand here is the idea of to, to remain, to be secure. This is saying that they have no righteousness. They have no right relationship with God. And so they will take no part in God's kingdom. Well, for a while, I was taking the train back and forth from Federal Way to Longview. About a two-hour train ride. And, uh, and I, I don't know why... My mind always played tricks on me every time I went to go get on the train because I bought my ticket on my phone, you know, just like Amazon Prime. You can do it all on your phone. And, and the Amtrak ticket, I'd buy it on my phone. But I was always nervous the moment I got on there or the moment after I was on there when the, when the person came by saying, tickets, tickets, please. I was always worried my phone wasn't going to work in that moment. I was just, I was like just a, a low level anxiety. There was going to be this moment where I'm sitting there on the train and my ticket will not pull up. And what is this person going to say to me in that moment? They're going to say what? Get out. Get out. And Jesus talks about this. He says there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, we did all of this for you. And Jesus says, I never knew you. See, see the end is coming. And I'm not talking like the end is near, like, we're, like hold a sign on the street corner. I'm saying that your end one day will come. And when that day comes, there's a difference between those who are blessed and those who are wicked. The, the difference is the righteousness of Christ. None of us will stand on our own righteousness. None of us will be able to say, okay, I, I was a pretty good person, or at least I was better than that guy. Let me in, Lord. All of us will stand on Christ's. See, the wicked, their life is doomed. But then this ends with hope, and it reminds us 
that the blessed life is known by God. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. When he says he knows the way of the righteous, he's not saying he knows about, like he's got some log of details, like height and weight. No, he says he knows you. This is the idea of he intimately knows you. The way of the righteous is a way that he holds with affection and with closeness. It reminds us of like Psalm 139 where it says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He, he knows you closely. And he gives a pro- approval to your life. Our, our, our church, we do a VBS. You guys do a VBS too, right? I've, I've heard awesome things about your VBS. Chad always brags about it, right? So whatever you're doing, you're doing it really, really great. But one of the things about our church when we do a VBS, we've got this small army of teenagers that volunteer, right? And it's one of the coolest things ever to see all of these teenagers serving children. See teenagers up on stage leading in worship and acting things out and teaching the Bible. And oftentimes I will show up at our VBS and I'll just kind of like watch. And I I try to like just stand like close to the wall and like not be like visible, like not let anyone know that I'm there. And when I'm standing there watching them, I am just overjoyed at these teens because I know them and I have an affection for them. And I have approval over them. That's the kind of knowing God has for you. Because you are in Christ because of his righteousness over you. See, the the blessed life, it comes by knowing God and living his way. So so here's where I want to land today. The next time... The next time you hear someone use the word blessed, don't, don't judge them, right? Don't just give them a bad time. But the next time you hear someone use the word blessed about a haircut or a purchase, e- even the next time you hear someone say, I'm blessed because I was healed of a cold or I'm blessed because I was healed of cancer, don't be upset with them. Be happy with them. But but I want you to begin to be able to turn your attention away from them and their blessing. And instead, I want you to look for the godly men and women in your life who are faithfully, daily living in the righteousness of Jesus. Who Who for decade after decade have been holding to God's word with their attention and with affection. I want you to be able to look at those in this room even who live in the righteousness of Christ. And I want you to be able to say they are blessed. And I want to be too. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity to be with this, this unique group of people and this church that you have blessed because you have given them the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that that every person here today, Lord, they would place their hope firmly on Jesus Christ. They would not trust their own righteousness. They would not trust their own ability. 
They would not trust in their ability to be better than someone else, but instead that they would fall completely upon your grace and mercy. And as they do that, I pray that you would give them an astounding amount of confidence that they now have the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, they would, they would know they are blessed. God, I pray that that would transform in their heart and their mind. It would transform them in such a way that they would desire your word more and more. God, I pray that today they would go home and they would open, their, open up your word. I pray that this evening as they lay their head down on their pillow, they would be thinking about your word. I pray that tomorrow as they wake, they would be drawn with excitement to your word. And as your word grows inside of them more and more, God, I pray that they would with confidence say no to the ways of this world. And ultimately, I pray for the individuals here, but also for this church. This church would be like a tree planted by streams of water that truly would prosper, that it would advance for your kingdom and your purposes. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.